Greetings and welcome to the Audio Tidbits Podcast Network. We hope you enjoy the show. Chapter 7, Crisis Color. Crisis always has a mood or color. The psychiatric literature frequently refers to this dimension of people in crisis as effect. In crisis communication, color refers to the mood or disposition of the individual in crisis. Does he seem depressed, angry, agitated, anxious, fearful? How would you describe the individual's mood? Using colors is a convenient way for us to communicate information about an individual's mood or effect and to describe and understand the three major or most observable moods or affective states. It may be helpful to think about several people in different situations. As an exercise, think about these individuals. What kind of mood are they in? Using a word or short phrase to describe each person's mood, think about whether they seem happy or sad, angry or loving, tired or energetic, optimistic or pessimistic, and so on. Crisis communication is unlike most other forms of communication. Developing a knack for describing an individual's mood or tone in a word or short phrase will help in recognizing and understanding this dimension of crisis situations. Mrs. J is sitting in her backyard in a lounge chair. She reading a book, and her children are playing quietly in the sandbox nearby. It is a sunny spring day, and Mrs. J occasionally chuckles as she reads. Mrs. K bites her lip as she slams the cupboard door in her kitchen. Her children know better than to bother her right now, and her husband is staying out in the garage. She moves in a very deliberate and methodical way and the pans bang as she sets them on the stove. Chuck, age six, squirms in his seat and is fiddling with his pencil. He keeps glancing around the room. He is tapping one foot against the leg of his chair and has not turned a page in his picture book for five minutes. Denise, age 19, is talking on the telephone, why won't you be there? There is a long pause. Her voice is a little shaky. I don't understand. Everything seemed okay last night. Another long pause. But will you be there later? Don is talking quite loudly, will you shut up and listen to me? I have told you that a thousand times. If you don't believe me, there is nothing I can do about it. Call him and ask him yourself. I'm getting sick and tired of this damn routine every time I'm 20 minutes late. Ellen is talking very slowly. It is difficult to hear her, for she seems to be swallowing her words. I just don't have any energy left anymore. I can't fight it anymore. I tried and tried and don't feel like trying anymore. It wouldn't do any good anyway. It seems like he is about to cry and keeps clearing his throat. I don't know what's going to happen. The doctor said it may not be serious, but they have to check on it, anyway. She's so little. It's all my fault. If I had been paying more attention, this wouldn't have happened, and she wouldn't be paying for my stupidity now. Frank shakes your hand as he sits down in the chair beside your desk. We have to get this straightened out. We spend all of our time hassling and arguing about it and seem to get nowhere. It's the kids. We simply cannot agree on how to deal with them. She is more of an open person and thinks it's okay for them to run in the house and make a lot of noise and do pretty much whatever they want to. I wasn't brought up that way. We were taught to respect our parents and to conduct ourselves like ladies and gentlemen. One of us has to be wrong, and somebody has got to tell us which one. She would have come with me, but one of the kids is sick today. She'll come next time if you want her to. In addition to thinking about the mood of the individuals described here, you can make a game out of figuring out the mood of people you come in contact with over the next few days. You will see that you can get clues about the mood of an individual by what he says, the way he talks, his actions and postures, and the myriad of messages and clues he gives you. This ability to recognize and understand the mood of an individual is a basic skill in crisis communication. Red Crises Crises come in red, yellow, or black. An individual in a red crisis is angry. He is really angry, he may be yelling, he feels the world is unjust, he is indignant, he declares that he will show them. 
the person in a red crisis usually appears tense, ready to strike out, about to explode. In other red crises, the individual may appear to be calm, but we can pick up the anger, frustration, and hurt from things he says, the way he describes situations, the kinds of things he is thinking about doing. The individual may be clenching his fists or pounding on the arm of his chair. You may notice that he is gritting his teeth or talking in a very angry, cutting tone. Frequently, such a person sets off fearful feelings in us, and we find ourselves worried about the possibility that he might hurt someone or something. For example, the parents of a young girl are divorced, and the girl is very upset. She tells us, I called daddy. That woman answered the phone and said daddy had taken her little girl swimming. I hope she drowns. I don't ever want to see him again. I hope he drowns too. I hate him. The little girl jams a pencil into the arm of her chair. I don't care. I don't need a daddy, anyway. The now potential of a red crisis is that the individual may act out his anger, really hurt someone else. This now potential combines with the act that the extreme anger disables the individual and makes the self-resolution factor quite low. In a red crisis then, our goal will be to reduce the now potential by softening the anger and allowing the individual to talk it out enough to begin to look at his feelings and at alternative ways of dealing with them. As he begins to think and feel with us, the self-resolution factor will increase. Glenn is in a red crisis. Who do they think they are? Not renewing my contract. You ask any kids at this school, and they'll tell you I am one of the best teachers they have ever had. Some of those old ladies there have been teaching for 40 years and don't know anything about kids. They just let them go on teaching and never say anything to them about that. I really teach the kids something, and they relate to me, and then they do this to me. I told that bastard, and he didn't like what I had to say. I told him. I told him that I was going to sue them, him, the board, the whole damn school if I have to. I don't have to put up with this. It's all politics, who you know if you happen to be from this damn town. There is no sense in it. If I were the football coach or something, they wouldn't treat me this way. Those jocks get everything, and you try to teach a kid to appreciate art or some of the other nice things in life, and they think you should lick up the scraps like a little puppy. They can't handle someone who is willing to speak up and take care of himself. No one is going to take up for those kids if they get rid of me. That's what they really want. I tell the kids how it really is, and they get all uptight. They are so insecure and place such value on their silly dumb jobs that they won't stand up to anyone. You say, I guess it seems like you have gotten a pretty raw deal. You're damn right. I'm going to sue the bastards. You ask, how did you learn about not getting a new contract? The word was out. I heard it in the teacher's lounge. I just blew up and went straight down to the office and told him what I think about it. I said to him, I said he could take his job and stick it. Who does he think he is, not renewing my contract? You ask, what was his reaction to that? He said he didn't know what I was talking about. He tried to play dumb. I told him, I said, don't play dumb with me. That's the way they do things. Act so sweet and innocent and as if butter wouldn't melt in their mouths, and then they stick you. You ask, are you sure they weren't going to give you a new contract? Yes, I'm sure. I guess I'm sure. You ask, you guess you're sure? Yes, I'm sure. He told me that it was true. I've seen it coming for a long time. They've talked to me about it a few times and said that I would not get a new contract unless things changed. You ask, what did they say needed to change? It's my temper. I just can't seem to control it. Bad tempers run in my family. My father was this way. You ask, does it get you into a lot of difficulties? Yes. I'm going to have to do something about it, or I'll never be able to be a teacher. My big mouth gets me into more jams than my head can get me out of. I've really blown it this time. You ask, is the decision not to renew your contract final? Or might they reconsider if you were to do something about your temper? I don't know. I never thought about that. 
You say, it can't hurt anything to ask them about it. If you're fired, you're fired, so asking them if there is any possibility to their reconsidering can't do anything to hurt. You might be right about that. I don't know. I doubt if it would do any good. I don't know what I'd do if I couldn't teach. It's my life. You say, it sounds like teaching is really important to you. It might be worth doing something about your temper. I don't know. Do you have any ideas? As you read about Glenn, you may smile to yourself and say, yes, but it would never happen that way. The fact that your calmness takes the red out of a red crisis is, at first, not very believable to most newcomers to crisis intervention. As you talked with Glenn, you calmly absorbed his anger and did not respond to it directly. You maintained your blue orientation to his red. Your questions and comments focused around his real problem and gradually moved him toward thinking about possible solutions. As you talked with him you recognized and acknowledged his anger but did not respond to it with any similar emotion. You were gradually able to absorb his anger and enable him to use your planning and reasoning skills to deal with this very serious life crisis. Obviously, had he followed his angry inclination, he would have gotten a lawyer, told someone to go to hell, or done something else destructive to his professional objectives. Through talking with you, he cooled down and began to think about how he could work things out so he could stay in the teaching profession. Had he followed his angry impulses, he would probably have ruined any possibility of teaching in the future. To some extent then, you have saved him from himself, and have made an important contribution to his future life. Will he recognize this fact and express his appreciation in proportion to the value of your effort? Probably not. The satisfaction comes from your knowing the potential importance of what you have done. As you work with people in crisis, never underestimate or minimize the importance of your help to other people. You understand what the now potential of the crisis is. You understand that your intervention has reduced the likelihood of the now potential actually happening. This lets you know what you have been able to prevent. For Glenn, you have made an important contribution to his life, whether or not he realizes it. Yellow Crises A crisis may be yellow. In a yellow crisis, the individual is afraid, anxious, really uptight. The crisis is yellow, like a blazing fire. People in yellow crises are frequently crying. Seem desperate, very nervous, and tremble. And sometimes make us feel very protective, as if we wanted to hold them and tell them things are going to be okay. They seem like frightened, very upset children. In a yellow crisis, individuals frequently tell us that they feel confused, they cannot think straight, everything seems to be falling apart around them. All of their anxiety and nervousness may make us feel a little frightened, at a loss as to what to do, somewhat overwhelmed. Yellow crises are the most typical crisis situation. When the interaction between the individual and his total situation deteriorates or breaks down, he usually becomes somewhat apprehensive, frightened, anxious, and confused. A young man calls you on the hotline. His voice quivers and he sniffles as he talks. I don't know what I'm going to do. Things are falling apart. I feel like running. I can go home. You ask, what happened? My girlfriend gave back my ring. She doesn't want to see me anymore. I really love her. I can't get along without her. I flunked my chemistry exam. I feel like I'm going to explode. I can't stand it. My parents will have a fit when they find out about my chemistry grade. She's with a friend of mine. I don't know where I'm going to get money for tuition next quarter. I can't live without her. I'd be better off dead. I can't stand it. The now potential in a yellow crisis is that the individual may do almost anything to escape the hurt, the confusion, the pain of being so anxious and uptight. He does not understand what is happening to him and frequently feels like he may be losing his mind. A yellow crisis is, for the individual, an extremely uncomfortable and emotionally painful state. It is like being in an emotional fire, and people will try anything that occurs to them as a possible way of escaping. They are tempted to run, to kill themselves, or to do anything else that might make the pain go away, 
the confusion, nervousness, inability to think straight, and extreme discomfort, of course, are powerful forces working against calm, rational, and sensible judgment and planning. That is to say, the self-resolution factor in a yellow crisis is very low. In crisis communication, our goal when dealing with a yellow crisis is gradually to calm and put out the fire. If we are able to do that, the individual will be better able to think calmly and rationally about his situation, that is, the self-resolution factor increases. Mrs. L is leaning over with her head in her lap, and her hands are clasped behind her head. Help me. It hurts. It's the pain, I can't stand it. My head feels like it's going to explode. I don't know what to do, I can't eat. I can't sleep. It seems like a thousand years since I've been to sleep. If I could just go to sleep, I might be okay. I'm going crazy, losing my mind. I can't stand the pain. She is still leaning over but looks up with an almost frightening expression on her face. Help me. You have to help me. You say, I really want to help. It scares me a little to see you so upset. It must be awful to feel so terrible. What can I do to help? I don't think you can help. I don't think anyone can help. It's awful. I can't stand it. You ask, have you been feeling this way very long? I don't see how you can stand feeling so bad. It's worse today than usual. Things are beginning to spin around. Nothing makes sense. I can't think because it hurts so bad. You ask, have you had these headaches before? Yes, I've been having them lately. You ask, have you talked with your doctor about them? He says they are nerves. I can't eat and I start to itch. She sits up a little in her chair and starts scratching her arms. I dig myself raw and feel like something is crawling all over me. My stomach feels like it is tied up in knots. You ask, how do you deal with being so nervous and hurting so much? Sometimes I feel like I can't stand it. I'd be better off dead. At least it wouldn't hurt then. You ask, what do you think makes you so nervous? I wish I knew. I can't stand it. I'm going to have to get something straightened out, or I'm going to go crazy. They should lock me up in a crazy place and put me to sleep. I'm going to end up in a straight jacket if I don't get this straightened out. I'm going to end up in a straight jacket clear out of my mind. You say, I hope that doesn't happen. What kinds of things do you need to get straightened out? Everything. My head, my marriage, my children, my life, everything is in a mess. Nothing's good. I can't stand the world, and it can't stand me. You ask, what part of the world do you find the hardest to stand? Mostly me. I keep screwing things up. About the time I get it to where I can handle it and things are going okay without any hassles or anything, I do something stupid, and it starts all over again. You say, that must be a pretty bad feeling to feel like you are always screwing things up. I've done it all my life. I am a walking disaster. Anything I touch goes wrong. You ask, how is your head feeling now? A little better. I have some stuff my doctor gave me for it. I took some a while age, and it's beginning to take effect. I can't spend all of my life living on pills, but I can't stand the pain either. Do you think you can help me? You say, I hope so. I can tell that you are really hurting, and I hope that I can do something to help get things better for you. I hope so too. I've got to get something straightened out. This can go on forever. You ask, what is it about your situation that bothers you the most? Maybe we could start there. My husband. I guess that bothers me the most. If I could ever get that worked out, I think I could handle the rest of it. That's hopeless with him. I don't know. If I could get that worked out, I could handle the other things. You say, maybe we could start there. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on with the two of you? Mrs. L was in a serious yellow crisis. As you talked with her, you responded at first almost exclusively to her mood or yellow crisis. 
As he recognized and acknowledged her feelings, she began to calm down, think a little more clearly, and the pain literally began to lessen. Your blue response filtered the fiery yellow out of her crisis. Had you not recognized and dealt with her feelings, she probably would not have gotten past the pain, discomfort, and confusion. You combined your calm blue with a gentle urging to get her to focus on her situation and begin to define her biggest problem. She felt that if she were able to resolve some of the difficulties with her husband she would be able to handle the remainder of her situation. You assumed that this was a rational and true judgment and encouraged her to discuss her relationship with her husband. It is your hope that you and she will gradually develop a picture of her crisis, develop some possible ways of dealing with it, and move to a point where she feels somewhat more competent to deal with her problems. Your initial intervention hypothesis directed you to respond to and filter her intense feelings. As she began to calm down, your hypothesis shifted to focus on her interaction with her total situation. Gradually, your hypothesis may shift several more times. But it is your constant purpose to move with her to a point where she can begin to think clearly about her difficulties and to plan ahead. Black crises. A crisis may be black. The individual is down, very down. His words come very slowly. His movements are slow. He sees no point in anything. His just being alive makes things worse. He does not want to kill himself. He just wants to stop living, to get out. He is tired of playing the game. The hassle is too much. His mood is very black. He is slowing down and has no interest or motivation in going on. As we talk with him, his speech may seem somewhat slurred, and his words may have a thick and mumbly quality about them. If we are talking with him on the telephone, especially, our initial reaction may be that he is intoxicated. It is critical for us to get beyond seeing him as a drunk and to get to a point where we understand that we are dealing with a black crisis. As we talk, the individual seems exhausted, appears to have no energy, and may give us the impression that he either wants to, or is about to, go to sleep. We may be frustrated and feel tempted to terminate our communication with him. It takes all of our effort and concentration to pay attention to and focus on the individual and his crisis. Black crises are seen considerably less often than red and yellow crises. However, they are by far the most difficult with which to deal. You are talking with a 70-year-old woman whose husband died a few months ago. Her children all live in other states and do not come to visit her very often. Many of her friends have died, and she has no particular interests outside her home. Her neighbors, who have called you in, are concerned because she does not come out of her house but just sits in her chair staring off into space. She says, please go away. I don't want to talk to anyone. You say, you seem pretty tired and depressed. I'm okay. Don't worry about me. Everything is fine. I'll just sit here until it's over. I hope it doesn't take too long. I'm so tired and want things to quit. You say, it makes me sad to see you so sad. I'm not sad. Everything is fine. It won't be too much longer now. He's coming back to get me soon. You say, it's a pretty day, and your neighbors are worried about you. There aren't any pretty days anymore. The neighbors shouldn't worry. I'm okay. It won't be much longer now. The now potential in a black crisis is the death of the individual. Such a person may stop eating, stop taking care of personal and health needs, and generally let himself physically and emotionally deteriorate. As an alternative to this gradual deterioration, the individual might choose to terminate the process of slowing down by abruptly hanging or shooting himself. These two forms of suicide frequently result from black crises. In other situations, the individual may overdose, expecting to go to sleep and not wake up. The goal of intervention in a black crisis is gradually to elevate the individual's mood, get him interested in and more connected with his environment, and stop the process of withdrawing and turning in. If we are able to do this, the individual will begin to see himself as connected to his environment and will start to interact with it. This increases his ability to get out of his black mood. Crisis Mix 
As you acquire experience with people in crisis and with crisis situations, you will realize that crisis may be, and usually is, a mix of red, yellow, and black. It is important to see that crisis color refers to the mood or effect of the individual in crisis. As we talk with him, we usually see that his mood tends to fluctuate. Occasionally, we will see an individual who starts out very angry, who is in a red crisis. As we talk with him, his anger gradually softens and becomes less intense, but his mood or the color of his crisis never appears to be yellow or black. Similarly, we may occasionally see a person experiencing a yellow crisis, and as we work with him, he is gradually able to calm down, become less anxious, and generally think more clearly. Throughout this process however, we may not see his mood turn to anger or his crisis turn black. In addition, a person in a black crisis may gradually become more animated and involved in his surroundings without reflecting any red or yellow dimensions to his crisis. More typically however, crises fluctuate between red and yellow, and less frequently between red, yellow, and black. The important thing in crisis communication is for us to understand and tune into the mood or color of the crisis but remain sensitive and responsive to shifts in color or mood. Blue Intervention As we begin to understand the significance and meaning of color in crisis, we will see that our mood or color is an extremely important dimension of crisis communication. We are familiar with such expressions as the life of the party, laughter is contagious, and others suggesting that our mood has the power to affect or infect. People in crisis may cause us to feel angry, anxious, depressed, indifferent, and so on, affecting our mood by the power of their own. The converse is also true. Our mood or tone has the power to affect or influence the mood of the individual in crisis. For example, if we respond to anger with anger, the person in crisis will tend to become even more angry. If we respond to anxiety and fear by becoming anxious and fearful, the person will tend to become even more anxious and afraid. If we respond to the immobilized mood of a black crisis by becoming emotionally immobilized ourselves, it will have the effect of making the black crisis even more black, to whatever extent that is possible. Our mood or color is then, an important dimension of the crisis intervention process and is an important aspect of crisis communication. If we know that anger begets anger, it is important for us to respond to a yellow crisis in a concerned but thoughtful manner. If we know that depression begets depression then it is important to respond to a black crisis in a friendly, interested, somewhat happy way. Since we know the kinds of mood or tone that tend to exacerbate or irritate various kinds of crisis situations, it is important for us intentionally to avoid making matters worse. We do this by consciously and caringly controlling our mood or color in a way that has the best and most desirable effect on the person in crisis. Our response to a crisis should always be in shades of blue, that is, we always want to convey a mood of calmness. A sense of control. A feeling that we understand, care, and will be able to help the individual resolve his crisis. Our response to crisis is never yellow. There is a rule worth remembering, in crisis situations, there is room for only one person to be anxious or afraid, and that person is not you. Your mood is blue. It is calm and calming. As the individual's anxiety, fear, apprehension, and confusion in his yellow crisis is filtered through your blue screen, the individual will calm down, slow down, and begin to think more clearly and plan ahead. Similarly, your color is never red. Anger pushes people away, makes them more agitated. A quiet blue from you will gradually slow down and calm down the individual's anger. By adopting a blue mood, you can gradually absorb and refocus the individual's anger and frustration. It is unlikely that an individual will strike out at someone or something if you quietly and caringly let him get out his anger and indignation. Blue takes the red out of crisis. It is always a dark blue for a black crisis. One of the few absolute rules in crisis intervention is that we never, never respond to a black crisis with red or yellow. The individual is quite slowed down. The now potential is that he may just stop altogether. We must realize that he is almost emotionless and hypersensitive to emotions in others. 
In a black crisis, we must start with a mood or color very close to that of the individual in crisis. From there, we gradually and very tentatively lighten or change our mood to a lighter shade of blue as the individual begins to come out of his black crisis. A dark blue mood on our part must be very gradually lightened, all the while remaining sensitive to slight changes and fluctuations in the mood of the individual. Responding to a black crisis is a very slow, gradual process that requires our extreme patience and sensitivity. Crises then, come in red, yellow, and black. Our response comes in carefully and caringly controlled shades of blue. However, it may help to think about what mood or tone our words communicate. For example, to say to a child, that's horrible, communicates a somewhat different tone than would be conveyed if we were to have said, that's not very good. If we say to our spouse, why in the hell did you do that? We have communicated a different feeling or mood than would have been conveyed had we said, what was your thinking when you did that? It may be helpful to practice listening to the things people say and listening to the mood or tone communicated by the specific words they use. As you read the phrases and sentences below, consider the mood or tone communicated by the words. That was a dumb thing to do. That may not have been your best choice. You're acting like a raving maniac. You seem really angry. You seem like death warmed over. You seem really depressed. You're sure acting crazy. You don't seem like yourself today. I don't know what's wrong with you, but you're going to have to get yourself straightened out. I'm worried about you. Can I help? Understanding the impact of your words and wording and seeing that they, by themselves, convey a mood or tone will increase your ability to convey a blue mood to people in crisis and will increase your effectiveness in crisis intervention. In summary, crises come in red, yellow, and black. Crisis intervention is always in carefully and caringly controlled shades of blue. In any crisis, the individual has a predominating mood or tone. This mood is typically anger, red. Anxiety, fear, and an extreme feeling of discomfort, yellow. Or depression, despair, a sense of hopelessness and futility, black. In crisis situations, the individual frequently vacillates, presenting a mix of moods or dispositions. Whether the individual mood or tone stays fairly constant or tends to fluctuate, the intervention response should be calm and not feed into, or exacerbate the individual's intense crisis mood. A blue intervention response will tend to help the individual calm down, develop an increased perspective, think more clearly, and plan ahead. The mood or tone conveyed by crisis intervention workers may be communicated through the tone of their voice, their individual speech patterns, whether they talk rapidly or slowly, and through the words they use to express their ideas and thoughts. We must start where the individual in crisis is, and this involves recognizing, understanding, and acknowledging his crisis color. Gradually and gently urging him to focus on his situation. Gradually filtering or absorbing the intense emotions within the crisis. And moving toward consideration of possible solutions.